All right, so you have an inheritance. There's this theme, and we can go to the first scripture. There's this theme going throughout scripture where the old covenant, you're in slavery. It talks about, and I just picked a couple of scriptures today. And the new covenant, they, they have this concept called sonship, where you're a son in the body of Christ versus um, a slave trying to, trying to be good enough to earn your inheritance. Unfortunately, I see most Christians still trying to be good enough to, if you're good, God blesses you. If you're bad, God doesn't bless you. Anybody grew up with that? It's not scriptural, for one, but uh, uh, and Paul in Galatians says, the old covenant, uh, he goes, Hagar and Sarah. Oh, I don't even want to get into that. I'll get to this. But anyway, it talks about, they're, they're representative of two covenants. The old covenant given on Mount Sinai. What was given on Mount Sinai? The law, the Ten Commandments, right? And it's, here's what people really, it's really hard for most people to understand. It says the law was given so that what would happen more? So that people would sin more. Isn't that funny? It says the law was given so that sin would actually increase to show them they can't do it. And the, that the law is the strength of sin. But grace was given to bring you as a teacher to teach you to deny ungodliness. So when, when people are preaching the law, are they preaching the gospel? No, they're really not. And so Paul in Galatians says, those are the two covenants, Hagar and Sinai. And it says, throw out the slave, which was who? Hagar, the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai, and introduce Sarah, the covenant of grace, right? The new covenant says, one will not have be a joint heir. The slave can never be an heir with the son. And the son is a promise. So anyway, there's this concept running all through scripture and all of Apostle Paul's writings about uh, slavery versus having to work for your blessing versus receiving it as a family member, which is if you have rich parents and they die and they leave you an inheritance, how much work did you do for that? You, you received it, Right. And that's the, old, the whole new covenant is talking about that, where you receive an inheritance as a son. So I want to talk about, you know, Paul in Romans 8 going, all creation, so everybody, and I believe this because we're born out of Christ, that all of us have this desire to see the supernatural, to live this abundant life, to live healthy, to live free of fear, to live free of uh, worry. Wouldn't that be a nice life? And he says, it's all available to you for free. You can have it anytime that you desire it, and you just receive it for all the things that Jesus qualified you for. So anyway, I want to talk about this sonship, uh, but Paul in Romans 8 says all creation's like dying to, to live this way again. Like There's something in us that aches that says, I know this has to be real. I know there's got to be something better. And I think that's why people go through these midlife crises and trying to, uh, not even midlife, they probably coming out of high school, et cetera, into college, they're going, what is this life thing all about? They ever do that? Remember, we did. You're going, what is, what is this thing about? Why are we here? I think everybody's done that. And uh, God's given us the ability to seek that out. It says it's the glory of a king. You and I are kings and priests, is what it says. That's to seek it out, and then he'll show us. So anyway, let's talk about this sonship thing, because as Jesus is, how are you? 1 John says, as Jesus is, you are exactly the same way in this world. That's a startling statement, isn't it? As Jesus is, so are you in this world. I see so few Christians that believe that. Being in the church their whole life, they never even read that scripture. It says, as he is, so are you in this world. So Jesus, it says, is a mirror showing you what a son looks like. He lived a pretty good life, didn't he? That's what life is supposed to look like, our redeemed sonship. So anyway, Hebrews, we'll talk about this. Hebrews is the crossover-overs. Literally, it means the crossover-overs. So the Jews were crossing over the River Jordan. They went from slavery, I'll show you this, into the what land? The promised land. It was given to them as a 
promise. So these physical things were, were types and shadows of truth that's spiritual in Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? You, you guys kind of, if you've been around me enough, you understand. I teach on the types and shadows all the time. It says the old covenants are types and shadows where it always produced death, but the new covenant always produces life. But if, if you can get the picture in the old covenant to see what's going to be good in the new covenant. So anyway, the first five books, who I know we did growing up in school, we had to, we had to sing the, new, the books of the Bible. Did you guys have to do that? Did you guys do that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Dothra, that was just us? And nobody had to sing that. That's how I learned it. You did too? Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, so what are the first five books of the Bible? The Jews call it the Torah, but it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which represents the law, the Torah, right? So did Moses get into the promised land? Doggone it. What a deal, right? If Moses can't get in, how do we get in? This tells you. So this is this crossover of the covenant. So the Jews were in this thing where they were under this old covenant, but they had the ability in a 40-year period to cross into the new covenant, the 40 days, the 40 nights. So Hebrews, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. And this says, this translation, I think this is New King James, uh, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But if you really translate it, it said, in the old covenant, God showed us pieces and fragments of what it was going to look like, but not the real thing. Okay, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by what? His son. In fact, I was showing you in, the, in the, a lot of the New Testament or the newer versions of Scripture, the translations, even the, the NIV says the final word, Jesus Christ. I was like, oh my gosh, that's in the NIV. What they're talking about is the Scriptures were fragments, pieces, but what's the real thing? Jesus, the final word. So all Scripture has to bow to Jesus. Now, the church has made it different. All scripture is real. Jesus is kind of that guy, right? And so anyway, so it says, hey, in the old covenant, the, the prophets, the, the, like Isaiah and Hosea and all these prophets, Ezekiel, they, different things, they saw types and shadows. They were inspired scripture. They got pieces of it. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by who? His son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of how many things? Now this is, if he's the heir of all things, this is important because I'm going to show you what you're an heir of also. Because if he's an heir of all things, as he is in this world, so are you. How much are you an heir of? All things. Doesn't that kind of like this picture in Genesis is I put man on the earth to have dominion over how much? All. And so, but in the last days, he's appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, meaning that Jesus Christ, the son, is what glory is supposed to look like. You and I, right? It says what you and I are worth. So the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the exact representation of everything God is. We showed other parts in scripture as well. So God and Jesus were not separate. Most people think Jesus was separate on the cross and he's crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in a body, right? You've gone through all those scriptures. So God and the, the Son and the... the the Son and the Father and the Spirit were never separated. And so, anyway, sustaining all things by the powerful word, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels. Now, if you go look at this, guys, this isn't the wing guys, the angels, the wings. It's angelos, which is messengers. So he's, in the context, he's talking about the prophets that spoke to us in times past were messengers giving God's word, Right? 
These aren't the little winged angels that you're thinking. So he's saying, he used to speak to us in prophets and different things, but in the last time he came himself in a body and spoke to us perfectly. This is what perfection looks like. This is what sonship looks like. So, and then he says, uh, uh, so he became as much superior to all the other prophets, angelos, messengers is really how it should be translated, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, we've talked about this a lot. If, if my kids are, I just put that close to my mouth. Sorry, it got loud, didn't it? So uh, if my kids are born into my family, what name do they carry? Popoviches. So to a Jew, this is really critical to understand scripture. When you became a son, when you were bar mitzvahed, that meant that your full maturity, you have everything in the house that the father owns. So when we recognize, we don't really do it in a Western culture or Christian culture, but there would be a time where, where Solomon, Angelique, Samuel, where we would go, hey, you're mature. Everything we have in our name is yours. It means much more than in Jesus' name that you just throw a label on the end of your prayer, right? In fact, 99% of the prayers I hear in Jesus' name, they have no idea what it means, which is why they have no effect in their prayer. <clears throat> it's, everything's revelation. It's what's coming from within. It's not you just saying some word. But here's what it says. <clears throat> At the name, he is, the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So if you're a family member of Jesus Christ, how much inheritance do you have if you carry his name? Like my kids would carry Popovich's name. But if you're under the name of Jesus, what name do you carry? Divinity, I don't know what to call it. God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, their name, right? That's the family you're in. You guys got it? It literally says surname, like your surname. You guys remember that? I never used to speak like that. I never heard surname until I got to the Air Force Academy. I said, what's your surname? I go, I don't know, what is that? I didn't know what that, it was last name to us is what they said, your first name and last name. He goes, what's your surname? I go, uh, I don't know, uh, which they probably yelled at me and screamed at me then because we went and saw the cadets running around yesterday. So, it's like, praise God. She goes, they're hating life, aren't they? I go, they are hating life right now. They've only been there a week. And they're going, this is my first week. Gets worse. <laughs> so, anyway, so Jesus is the final word, the final message. It literally is logos or rhema. He's the final message to mankind what life is supposed to look like. And then he's the heir of all things and represents what redeemed sonship looks like. It's what our radiance is supposed to look like, is like, look like Jesus' radiance. Has got it? So he's telling them, Hey, the Hebrews is the, the pastor over. He goes, hey, you thought you had it, but you only had bits and pieces in the old covenant. Jesus is what life is supposed to look like. Now cross over from trying to be a slave, earning it by all your good works, into your inheritance. And I'll show you that. That's literally what Hebrews means. So <clears throat> let's go to the, the, next, uh, the next slide. Now you, I was talking about this in the last Sunday call. I'm like, I got to talk about this. So the first five books we talked about, again, is the Torah, the law which was Moses, is really, most people go, hey, it's, a, it's about Moses and the, the nation of Israel. After the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what's the next Bible, ver or the next chapter? Yeshua. It's literally Yeshua, Yahweh, right? So who's going to take them into the promised land? This, this gives you the clue, right? So Yeshua is the next book of the Bible. So after the death of Moses, the, the son of the Lord or servant of the Lord? Servant of the Lord, right? The death of Moses. In a different translation, says, Moses, your servant is dead. So what is that really trying to say? The law is dead. The old covenant is dead. That's why when John the Baptist, who is the representative of the old covenant also, when Jesus sees him at the, the, the river Jordan, John the Baptist says this, I must do what? 
decrease so that Jesus can increase. And if you go look in the scriptures, the old covenant is always fading, going away, passing away. Right? You guys have seen that? I've given you a million scriptures on that. So at the death of Moses, the servant, so servanthood's over is what he's trying to show you. The Lord said to Yeshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Now who's, who's, the, who's, who's Jesus' aid today? The Holy Spirit. Doesn't it say that? That he's our, he's our comforter, he's our aid, right? So this is all types and shadows. So the aid of, of Moses was representative of Christ. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan in the land I'm about to what to you? Give to you. So somebody gives you something, did you earn it? No, it was given to you as a gift. So <clears throat> the river is the land I'm about to give you to the Israelites. I will give how much? Every place where your foot set as I... As I what, Moses? Promise. So Moses, you can't earn it. Moses is the works, right? That concept has to die, and what has to come alive? Sonship, the Spirit. And that's what it says in the New Covenant. He gave us a spirit of sonship where we all cry out, Abba, Father. We call him Dad now. We call him Daddy, right? He's your true dad. I know we all have dads, but he's your true dad. So if you didn't have a good dad, it's not an excuse, guys, because we have the real dad. That make sense? I see so many people victim livelihoods, and it's just not good. You're going to live a miserable life. And so anyway, your real dad is good, and he's always good, and he can give you the spirit that he's your dad. Okay? So <clears throat> I will give every place. Doesn't that sound like inherited all things? I will give you every place where your foot set, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the Great River, the Euphrates, the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, He's basically, just like Paul, he goes, all these areas, as far as the east as west, as far as you can see, will be your inheritance, right? To them, that meant something. To us, we have Google Maps, so we can see a lot. But it's the same thing. He's going, as far as your eye can see, it's been given to you. Is that a pretty good inheritance? How much wealth is in, involved in all of that? I remember, Ron, we were trying to figure that out one time, like just estimating how much silver, gold, all the, the precious metals that the Chinese are buying up right now, Right? It's just, we can't comprehend. What's after trillions? Quadrillions, is that what it is? I don't remember. Trillions is a good start. And that's, it's just, yeah. Whatever it is, it's infinite, right? It's infinite. So anyway, basically, everything's been your, your inheritance as a son, all right? So no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What will he do to us? He'll never leave us, Right? And that was Paul's revelation in Romans 8. He goes, even death, you can't be, you can't be left by, by Jesus. I know a lot of us have been taught that in the West, that when you die, you've better said the magic words, right? Because otherwise you're going to... But if they even read their own scriptures, King David says, even if I make my bed in where? Hell, you're there with me. He never will leave you nor forsake you. It's impossibility. Isn't that interesting? And the New Covenant it says... Uh, Whatever their concept of this, this angry, mean God is, it says it's in the presence of the Lamb and the holy messengers. You can never leave him. That should be really good news, right? Because if you can never leave him, in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. You have to be taught to be scared and you're going to go somewhere and never be around him. That's, it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's not even in there. It's really fascinating. They, they do it in the parables. They miss the whole parable. So they make a whole theology out of parables which is really interesting. And a parable is not the real thing, right? 
Uh, Brad Jerzyk, by the way, is going to be that Sunday, the last Sunday at our house for House Fellowship, July 28. And I remember him talking about the sheep and the goats because <laughs> they, like they like to take things literal, but if you're going to take it literal, then you've got to take it all literal, right? So he goes, if the sheep and the goats is really literal, where there's this separation, then are we okay? He's just talking about sheep and the goats. I remember Brad going, the sheep and the goats are screwed, but we're fine if we're going to take it literal. He doesn't even talk about it. So it's, parables are talking about a truth that has a much deeper spiritual meaning for all of us. So anyway, you guys get this? So mankind has a distorted view of who they were, right? The idea of slave, servant, must die, that old covenant of, of Moses, you got to serve God to somehow be pleasing to God. And I'll show you through scriptures, it's, it's really when Jesus comes as the final word and he goes, let me tell you about the father, the prodigal son concept. We're going to dig into that a little bit tonight. So mankind has a distorted view of who they are. The idea of slave, servant, this old covenant idea that I have to perform in order to be blessed has to go away because the truth is this. Some of you guys think, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm a Christian, etc. But if you really don't get this idea of sonship, I've, I've counseled thousands of you. There's always this seed in there that maybe I didn't do it enough. Maybe I didn't pray right. Maybe I didn't do this right. Maybe, I, maybe I'm living a, the wrong life. Maybe I didn't hear you clearly. There's always this, did I do enough versus a certain assurance. And even if you disagree with me, I would disagree with you because uh, I've been around it. You cannot get it because somebody can always do more than you, right? So there's always that seed of doubt where it has to be a promise that if God promised it, it's yes and amen, I receive it. That's the only way it can get it solid, I'm telling you. And it's really hard for a lot of believers sometimes because they still have this servant mentality that if I'm good, God will bless me. And then there's always this pecking order, isn't it? Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Then did you see so-and-so? At least I don't do that. They mow their lawn on Sunday. That's how we grew up, right? I love to mow my lawn on Sunday now. It's beautiful. By the way, if you're following all that, that's fine. But read Colossians for me, please. Because it says the, the, the days, the, the meals, the feasts were types and shadows. Jesus is the real thing. They're just pointing to something. So I don't care if you observe those things, but if you put yourself under the law, it's going to do what to you? Kill you. Kill you. Literally, it says it'll kill you. You'll start to die inside because you, you can never be good enough. You always wonder, did I do this? Jesus, did I defend you? Um, you know what's really interesting? You cannot offend him because he's perfect love and keeps no record of wrong. Isn't that good? We teach our youth that. Can you ever disappoint Jesus? No, because perfect love keeps no record of wrong. Perfect love loves. Isn't that good news? Man, if we got that, we wouldn't have suicide rates. I'm telling you, the law will, will increase suicide rate. And I, I see that a lot, you know, in Colorado Springs, everything running around. I, I, go, I can tell you why these kids are doing it. They were growing up in religious households and they feel like they feel terrible. They feel terrible about themselves. They don't, they don't, they're not honest about with their parents and, and, uh, because they're always thinking, what if I'm not good enough? Hey, let me tell you something. Your parents are struggling with it too. And once they get it, they, you mean I'm completely holy, I'm righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ and not my own? Yes, it's a promise. He promised it, not you have to earn it. Okay, I know it's challenging, but I can go scripture by scripture, like Pastor Winston used to say, like a Philadelphia lawyer, right? But if you want to use your book, we'll use your book and show you that all these things are real, just haven't been taught. The good news has become sort of good news or maybe good news. Good news is good news. So anyway, so Moses dies. The idea of slave and servant must die and replaced with this idea that you're a son in the father's house. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> let's go to the next slide here real quick. What's that? 
Oh, you lost your mouse? Okay. No, no worries. I couldn't hear what you said. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> all right. Now, so here's the story. This should, you guys have all heard the prodigal son, right? It should really be titled The Grace of the Father. Because it's all about the father, if you really go look at the main. The protagonist in this thing is the father. He's the main character in this whole deal. So here's Jesus, Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners uh, were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Right? Um, and really he's showing you, let me tell you what the father really looks like. Because they were shocked that Jesus would go spend time with the sinner. And if you go look in scripture, the only people who were comfortable with were the sinner. The religious, he didn't like a whole lot, did he? In fact, he called the high priest the son of the devil. <laughs> he goes, you're a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but you're inside. You're far from me. You don't get my heart. You, I'm, I didn't come to judge anyone, Jesus said. I came to sozo them, heal them, heal their heart, heal their mind and heart. So anyway, so the tax collectors are grumpy because Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. That's the whole point. So they're self-righteous. They're going, look at us. If Jesus really knew who this woman was, if this person was, he would never hang out with them, right? So let's see how Jesus represents the Father. Jesus continued. I'm not gonna, I, I kind of jumped around the scripture because most of you guys know that whole story. So Jesus continued. There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for Vegas, and squandered his wealth in a wild living. That's how I like to put it, because, right? Isn't that kind of what we think about the prodigal son? He went to Vegas and did some bad stuff. But it says he went off to a distant country there scattered his, and squandered his wealth in wild living. So you let your mind run whatever wild living look, looks like to you, okay? So <clears throat> verse 17, when he came to his senses, it, here, and it says if you go look at it, he says, uh, actually, I, I, you can read it. So he's basically going, this is terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm a servant in a distant country working for somebody else, eating pig slop and, work, and working with the pigs. This means something to a Jew again because pigs were considered what? Unclean, right? And then Jesus speaks to Peter and says, don't call any of my creation unclean. Follow me? So if, if Christians are telling you you can't eat bacon, just tell them to read their Bible. So they're missing the whole thing. No, turkey bacon's nasty, Esther. It's like he's got to be the real greasy, nasty stuff. Like, <laughs> Right? Yeah, so that's real bacon. That's good bacon, right? Turkey bacon, I don't know what that is. It's like, it's, yeah, I don't look at a turkey and go, mmm, bacon. I look at like a turkey and go, that looks like a turkey. That looks good. Bacon's bacon, right? And, and here's what's interesting if you go read that. What did the unclean animals represent? Gentiles, all people. He says, don't call anybody unclean. You see a lot of Christians calling people unclean today? Yeah, everybody but them, right? They haven't accepted him yet, so they think they're unclean. Like, again, Peter had the revelation that Cornelius is clean. Oh, my God, he's in. He's in the covenant too, right? And they go read it if you don't, if you don't believe me. So, <clears throat> so they went off to a diff different country, wild living. So the Jew thinks, oh, my God, he's, he's eating pig slop. He's working with the pigs. You couldn't get any lower. Now let's see what the father's reaction to this person who actually had a, a riotous life. Verse 17, when he comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? There's that word again, servant, right? He's got this servant mentality. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the thing most Christians struggle with. They don't feel valuable and worthy because of their behavior. Now let's see the good news, what the father actually tells them. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In fact, I'll tell you, the first time I heard grace, some of you guys have heard this, it was so profound to me. It was awesome. We were, I'm Ron and Martha, you may have been there. It was this grumpy old guy, acts like this grumpy old guy, and it was a Sunday morning service, and here's what he said. And he said, uh, uh, hey, any of you moms that have ever aborted your baby, Jesus is not angry with you. In fact, he's got your baby in his arms waiting for you in heaven. And you should have seen the whole, just buckets of tears, how many ladies. They, were, they finally heard the heart of Jesus, grace. And I remember, because I grew up with the picketing, you know, God hates this, and he's like, yeah. But it says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. So he hates all of it, right? Not because he hates you, just because it's not how life is designed. But once you free them up, man, they can, they can love again, and they can be, feel loved, and they can feel valuable again. I can't tell you how many, when I heard that, I didn't know what grace was. I didn't know what to call it yet. I was like, that is truth, whatever that is, because that moved me to my core versus these people picketing outside Planned Parenthood. Do I like Planned Parenthood? No. But you know what? What we need to do is take care of that single mom with stuff like Inspire 100, not tell her she's going to hell because it's the goodness of God that leads to change, not God hates this. Like, no, God hates the legalism. He wants you to extend the Father's heart to ladies and people, all of us, right? So anyway, um, I'm no longer worthy because most of those ladies, they deal with this stuff and we all probably have stuff that we've dealt with. Listen, he doesn't keep any record of wrong. You shouldn't either. In fact, Hebrews says you should have no more concept of sin once you've been cleansed by the blood. And what that means is the blood of Jesus spoke better things of Abel. Abel demanded justice when you did something wrong. When we did something wrong, Jesus says what? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. His blood speaks forgiveness and mercy. Amen? Isn't that good news? No record. No record of wrong. So I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Right? You see where he doesn't feel valuable. So, So he got up and went to his father and Next slide real quick, Jeremy. All right, verse 20, we'll continue there. While he was still a long ways off, so has he, quote unquote, repented yet? No, he's coming back to eat and become a slave, right? While he was still a long ways off, did the father go, oh, there's that sinner, I can't look at him, I'm too holy, I can't look at him. What did he do? While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to the son, right? And he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, does that look like somebody who is too holy that can't look at sin? No. <laughs> no. I'm sure he still smelled like pig slop because that's where he just came from, right? And so anyway, it says, to, to the, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But here's the father's reaction. This is all about the father. Jesus goes, let me tell you about the father, right? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring what kind of robe? If Jesus has the best robe, do you think it's a good robe? It's probably the best, isn't it? So he says, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I've talked about this a lot. The old covenant, Moses, when, in those writings, when Moses sees the burning bush, which is a figure of this all-consuming fire but doesn't burn up anything, never burns it up. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't burn up the... the and it's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of God. So when Moses, in that scripture, sees God, what did the scriptures tell Moses to do with his feet? 
Take your shoes off. You're not worthy to stand here. But this guy, Jesus is going, you guys missed it. The law, the old covenant were fragments and pieces, but not the real thing. Let me tell you what the real thing is. Jesus is showing us how the father really is. You guys get it? what I'm trying to show you here? The old covenant brought death. The new covenant brings life is what scripture says. And in the old covenant, Moses didn't think he was good enough to stand in God's presence. He had to take his shoes off. But this guy who just was wild living, living in pig slop, the father says about you and I, which really about you and I says what to us? Put shoes on. He's worthy to be in my house. Because the slaves always had, they didn't have shoes. The sons had slippers and they would go inherit in the father's house, living wealthy. Is that good or is that good? That's good news for me. I don't know about you. So when you don't feel worthy, guys, here's how God looks at you. You're worthy of the best robe. You're worthy of the ring, which is all my authority, the signet ring. And put shoes on and enter into my house. That's what he's showing. You guys get it? The best robe. So the best God's got is available to you. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. Where Moses, the old covenant says, take your shoes off. You're not worthy. New covenant says you're worthy. Stand here. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Is that good news or is that good news? So here's what he's saying. Sonship is this huge celebration where you get to inherit everything. You get the best robe, you get the signet ring, you get slippers, so you're not a slave. And slavery doesn't mean like a slave like we think. It meant I have to go work for everything I got and I only get pittance, right? And that concept has to die. So the real story about the grace of the father and how he treats us as sons in his household It's not about earning it, working as a slave. It's about inheriting it in a family of love or sonship. That's why he says he's inherited all things and he's given him a name above all names and that name we've inherited. So we're in his family. You guys get it? I think I've talked to you guys a lot, but it's really critical. This sonship versus versus slavery, this whole concept runs all through scripture, all through the New Testament. Paul writes about it incessantly. Jesus talks about it incessantly. And uh, to the people who thought they could earn it, it says, your righteousness is as a filthy rags. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing to me. There's only one righteousness that counts. It's Jesus' and you've inherited it. That's good news, isn't it? So despite your behavior, what, what kind of, are you worthy of uh, like a goodwill robe or the best robe? The best robe. <laughs> nothing wrong with goodwill. J.C. Penney's fine too. But you know what? They sell nicer stuff at Nordstrom. And they sell nicer stuff at Bergdorf Goodman in New York City. Really nice. So anyway, you're worthy of that. As, my, as big as your eyes can see and as big as your imagination. The only thing limiting us is our imagination, guys, and our heart. Really, how big can we think? How much can we dream? So you guys getting this? All right, let's continue. All right, Romans 8. So here's Paul. And I'm just going to show you a couple examples. I could give you so many. So Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So when John the Baptist says, I must diminish. Jesus must increase at the River Jordan where they're going to cross over. They're going to cross over from trying to earn it into the promised land where you get it as a promise. You guys guys are with me? So we've talked about this a lot. When, when, When John the Baptist, which was the high priest, the son of the high priest, so he was next in line to be the high priest, and Jesus, the true Ark of the Covenant, stepped into the River Jordan. They went under the water, and they came out. And what descended? The Holy Spirit, right? So the Old Covenant died. Under, under the water under, was always judgment, death. That's why Jonah, you know, people always ask me this stuff. Do you think there's really a whale that swallowed a person? No, I don't. Because it's a type of, could there be? I guess. I, I don't know. 
but it's a picture of what? Jesus going into, the, going into death for three days and, comes and says death spit him out, so the whale spit him out, right? We would look at it as the Leviathan or anything under the sea, this sea creature. So people, I don't know. See, here's the thing. We get in this, all this stuff. If the old covenant were fragments, but Jesus is the real thing, does it really matter if Jonah was real? I don't, it doesn't matter. It's that people argue about this stuff because the new, the new covenant fulfillment is Peter, son of Jonah, has to go preach to the Gentiles. It's a story about the new covenant. Does that make sense? The old covenant's a story, but we have this whale spitting them out. I'm like, that's great. But it would be better if you understood the whole idea of what it really means because it's a meaning something much bigger than what we learned in Sunday school. So anyway, all right. So the spirit descends after the law dies, right? Because John the Baptist says, I must die. Jesus goes under the, the water, comes out, and the spirit descends. We're switching over the covenants right in the River Jordan, okay? So for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. See this concept again, right? Servants, slaves, I got to work for all my inheritance, so the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received about through your adoption to, to what? Sonship, right? And by him we cry, Daddy, he's my real dad. He's my father, right? Again, to a Jewish mind, this is critical, guys, because if he's my father and I'm a son, I says, I've got a spirit of sonship, how much do I own? The whole thing. Everything the father has. So how much healing does the Father have? Unlimited. So how much healing do we have the right to? Unlimited. How much abundance does the Father have? Inherits all things, yeah. No, I can't imagine, yeah. I don't know if you hear Could you hear that? Say, I'll say it for the people online. So uh, say it again uh, slowly. I'm from Iowa. Okay, there's an asteroid orbiting between Mars and Jupiter. Okay, the gold content alone in this asteroid is valued at 700 quintillion. How many zeros is that? 10 to the what power? <laughs> so it's a lot. Oh, so fifth? So the 15th power then. I, don't know if, I know the online people said it would wreck our economy because it would make everybody a multimillionaire. And that's truth. That's what it says. If, if people get a hold of this, you're already that. If you own the Father, is that, that's just what we can see and find, right? So how much wealth do we have access to? The whole thing. The whole thing. Isn't that cool? That's good, isn't it, Marth? We'll have, we'll have fun in New York with that. <laughs> We'll just buy buildings, right? And looking for a house. Now, let's just buy the building. We're worth 700 quintillion, right? We are going to buy the Yankees. That's already done deal. That's just child's play when you're talking 700 quintillion. So even, even, even Steinbrenner will sell for that, I guarantee you. So anyway, we will buy the Yankees, though. That's good. They lo- even though they lost today. So walk off in the 10th it was, or 9th, it was ugly. So anyway, all right. The Spirit himself, so as we cry, Daddy. So this Spirit that we received after the Old Covenant at this servant mentality dies. You're not a slave having to earn anything, guys. You're, you got a Spirit of sonship. You're a son, which we cry, He's my Dad. The Spirit himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's 
children. We, we're, in, we're, we're in his will. You guys get it? I'm trying to use things we're, we're, that we're comfortable with, and that's what Paul's trying to do in his writings. Now, if we are in his will as children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and different translations. This says co-heirs with Christ. Different translations say joint heir. Paul's using legal terms again. All you business guys. If you're a joint owner, how much do you own? Same proportion as your joint owner. You own it all. So if we're children of God, we are joint heirs with who? Jesus. Now don't get mad at me. This is Paul. Right? Who are you to say you're a joint heir of Jesus? I don't know. That's what my scriptures say. So now if we are children, then we are heirs. See, here's Paul's reasoning. If we're children, then we're in the Father's will. And if we're in the Father's will, we're joint heirs of his son, Jesus Christ. Is that good? Okay. So heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. What he's saying there, guys, is it where Paul talks about when Jesus died, how many died? All died is what scripture says. So you've already experienced death. So do you have a death to look forward to? No. But if you died, if you went through his sufferings, what, what, what do you also get to include yourself in? His glory, right? Everything he has now at the resurrection. So you've already died. You have nothing to look forward to but life. So when, when a seed falls to the ground, when this physical body dies, what do you experience? Life. And more abundantly, right? So... If we were involved in his death, is what Paul says, all, if one died, all died. And if one rose, how many rose? All. And Ephesians talks about that in, in Paul. It says, whatever other principle, whatever power you think about God, know this, that you are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. You rose with him. You are currently seated at the right hand of the Father. This is what quantum physics just, I love this kind of stuff because they go, there's no time space. We live in this time space, but quantum physicist goes, there's no time space. And scripture says there's no time space. It says Jesus is the end of time and space. Is that cool? So he goes, even though we're walking here, we're, we're mentally, where our spirit, our hearts and minds should be as we are a joint heir of Jesus Christ, seated at his throne. So how far do you have to pray? We're literally there. It's not praying to this distant God. It's like this conversation. We're face-to-face, pros with Jesus Christ himself and the Father. So if Jesus ever asked the Father for anything, do you think the Father answered? Yes, so when you pray, do you think the Father answers? Absolutely he does. Well, what if he doesn't answer? Impossible. Impossible. I don't care what you've been taught. I'll show you scripturally. It's impossible. He says, before you've even asked, I've answered. I know what you're going to ask me before you ask, so just ask and get it over with. That's what the scriptures say. And you're going to receive it as the bride of Christ so you can be joyful. Isn't that good prayer? So when you pray for the sick, how confident can you be? The spirit flows. So if there's ever an issue, it's the, it's the receiver's heart. That's all it says is the condition of the heart. He goes, the soil is like a picture of somebody's heart. If they don't think they're worthy and they still think they have to own it or if they've done all these things and they're a bad person, they don't deserve his blessing, they may not enjoy it. But is it available to them at all times? Yes, that's what he's trying to show you. So anyway, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. If indeed we shared in his death, his sufferings, everything he went through, we also get to share in his glory as a joint heir, don't we? Okay, so John 14, 16. That's just a review of last week and we'll be done. So here's what he's talking about. He says, when I send my spirit, that's what he's talking about. I will ask the father, I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan, meaning that Jesus is, he's talking about, I'm gonna go away, you're gonna see me, I'm gonna die but then you're going to see me again, and then you're going to be joyful, and then I'm going to go away again. 
but I'm not going to leave you because I'm going to send something better, which will be with you and always be with you, which is the spirit and says, I will ask the father. He will give you another advocate to be worthy, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, which is the Holy spirit on that day. When, when he sends the spirit, when was the spirit sent? Pentecost, he was poured out on all flesh is what it says. All flesh, if you go look at that word. So every human being that has flesh has the spirit of God on him and in him. Woo, that'll destroy some theology, but their book says it differently than what they teach. Peter says this is what happened at Pentecost. Remember, Peter was gonna go be sent to the Gentiles. He was the son of Jonah, son of Bar-Jonah. Did he wanna go preach to the Gentiles the good news? It's like, no way, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I haven't even mowed my lawn on Sunday. And he goes, none of that matters, Peter. They're clean. Go talk to them. They share in the inheritance, just like you, Jew. Whoa, that's cool. So I might be over so many people's heads, but it's really good. On that day, when you send the Spirit, the Spirit says, we are sons. We can cry out. We can call him dad. We're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit I'm trying to get across to you. You own everything that God owns. Does it not, does it not say that? It says it. So I know some of you guys are like, this can't be blasphemy. Did they call Jesus a blasphemer? He said, if you're a son, that means you're a co-heir of, of God. Blasphemy. Now we teach it. Hey, you're a son. You own everything Jesus owns. Blasphemy. You got to earn it. Right? Isn't that what you hear in most church today? It's the same. It's the same. They're grumbling just like the Pharisees and Sadducees is what it said. So on that day, you'll know that I am in the Father and you are in who? <coughs> you and I are in who? Jesus. We're in him. And where is he? And I'm in you. What Paul's trying to show is, or John actually here, but Paul talks about it, the same thing. He's going to go, there's no separation. When I send my spirit, you're going to realize you've always been a son. I'm in you. You're in me. I'm in the Father. You're in me, and I'm in you. Meaning that three-branded three cord. You share life with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Once you get that, the Christ in you, the anointing in you, the hope of glory, isn't Jesus the, the glory of God, is what it says? And we're in him, and he's in us. So are you the glory of God? Yes. That's Paul's revelation. Don't you get it? You're the temple. All these old covenant stories, you're it, what it's talking about. The Spirit's in you. This thing that all the, the Old Testament prophets were desiring is yours. And it's been hidden for ages, but now it's revealed in you. So how anointed are you? The anointed. You can't get any more anointed than being one with him, can you? So what does this all mean? And so here's Jesus continues in John 16. In that day, you're not going to talk to me. You're not going to ask me anything because he's seated on the throne right? But he's trying to give him this truth. Truly, truly, I tell you. Now, amen, amen is what it says. So that's why I always say amen, 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 just three times for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just to, truly, truly. So if Jesus is saying, or John's saying through him, or the translation of Jesus, truly, truly, I tell you. So he's going, if somebody go, are you sure? I'm sure. Double sure. That's how we would say it today, right? Or whatever. What do you say when you're really trying to show somebody? We don't say amen, amen, because I do, but a lot of people don't, because they don't know what it means. They think it's something you say at the end of the prayer. It says, this is the way it is. So be it, so be it, right? So here's what Jesus is saying. This is the way it is, and I'm going to emphasize it again. This is the way it is, guys. Hear me on this, is what he's trying to say. Follow me? Amen, amen, is what he's saying. Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father that my name qualifies you for, He works in mysterious ways. Sometimes we never know. Is that what it says? 
This is that sometimes he answers, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he says, wait. I'm just trying to kill cows. All the wrong stuff on prayer you've heard. This is how it is, boys. This is how it is. I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name because you didn't realize you were a son. You didn't realize you shared ownership with me. You guys follow what Jesus is telling them here? When he, I'm telling you, in that day when you receive the Spirit, you're going to get a revelation that you're a son in the Father's house. If Jesus asks for something, does he get it? Yes. You're not have to going to use a mediator anymore. You're going to have to ask me, Jesus is saying. You yourself can go straight to the Father and ask him. And if you ask the Father, being a son, are you going to get it? Yes. Is that just radical or is that radical? That is radical if you get it. Now the religious will gnash their teeth. That sounds way too good. So these are red letters. Jesus, Jesus is saying, truly, truly. Okay, this is Jesus. Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name because you didn't realize you could. You didn't realize you had ownership. You didn't have the same name as me. Ask, and what happens? You will receive, so your joy may be full. Is that good or is that good? All right, let's finish this up. You can get to your feet. So do you get this whole idea where he's trying to get away from this, I have to earn it, this old covenant mentality, slavery, meaning I have to work for my blessing versus how easy is this? Truly, truly, I tell you, when you get the revelation that you're a son in the Father's house, when you pray, you will receive it so your joy may be full. I want you to be a joyful bride is what he's saying because we're the bride of Christ, right? You guys get it? All right. So if you think you have to earn it, that's what this whole idea of slaveship, servanthood is all about in the old covenant. We will always have a seed of doubt. I'm telling you, you can never be good enough. You're always going to wonder if you did it enough, if you did this enough, if you messed up enough. The incredibly good news of Jesus Christ is he keeps no record of your wrong, never has, never will. You're worthy of it all. Don't be like the, the son says, I'm not worthy, Father. What he's trying to show you, the Father really goes, you're worthy of the best because you're my son and you share my name. Follow me? So if you, let's just make it modern terms so you make it easy. If you were the heir of Steve Jobs and he, he left you everything, would you worry about finances? A greater than Steve Jobs is your surname. Or Bill Gates, or you pick anyone, Right? I'm going to pick Steinbrenner because they own the Yankees. So I can relate to that. <laughs> so, right? And the kids don't even like baseball. I'm like, what's, what's wrong with this? Father, give it to me. Thank you, Jesus. So <clears throat> Jesus came to show us what sonship is supposed to look like, the radiance of God's glory. He goes, in the old covenant, we're types and shadows. They spoke in pieces, but Jesus shows you what the father and the sonship is really about <clears throat> and how the father freely gives us. Did the prodigal son earn it by his good works? No, in fact, he didn't think he was worthy, but the father always reacts and he goes, you're worthy. We've hammered that so you get it. The father freely gives us an inheritance. That's what sonship's all about. <clears throat> you're in his family out of his love for us. We can partake of the divine nature and live a supernaturally natural life. The life of Jesus is what sonship is supposed to look like. We are his body. So he's not here physically anymore. He's here physically through us. We're one with him is what it says. He's the head, we're the body. We're literally the body of Christ. Love is the most powerful force in the world. And it says, he is love and he consumes and contains everything. So if you operate in love, you're operating the most powerful force in the world because he's it. There's no other power greater than that. So here's the key to all this. Why am I sharing all this? 
the servant, the servant mentality didn't think he was worthy. He didn't think he was good enough. You can never live up to dad, right? A lot of us come from households like that. Or it could be, I could never live up to mom's standard. And unfortunately, most Christianity is that way. You could never live up to this standard. And that's what these teens and everybody are struggling with today is they hear this stuff and they're struggling with stuff and the message needs to be, you're worthy. God keeps no record of wrong. And we, we think that's going to give them a license to sin. That's what I hear. I go, the goodness of God leads them to change their heart about who God is and their own behavior. Legalism will stir it up. If you don't believe that, watch Christian kids go to college. It's craziness. That's what it is. It's crazy. If they come out of a legalistic household. I saw it. Didn't you see it? I just did it. Got it over in junior high. I'm like, oh, that's old. Like, I was just a rebel wild then. I go, by the time I get to college, I go, really? Stu did that? I'm going to bed. This is like, but they come out of legalism. They, they don't know what to do. And now they, now, then they go misbehave with wild living is what it says. And they feel terrible, don't they? And you, the message has to be, you're okay. You're perfectly loved. That'll get them to change, mom and dad. I promise. I promise it'll get them to change. And the goodness of God leads to repentance is what it says. So love is the most powerful force in the world. When we know how much we're loved, how much do we love? That love keeps no record wrong, realizing we're sons, right? The, the prodigal son didn't get it, but we're designed to, to do the uncommon. Did Jesus do the uncommon? We're a joint heir, guys. It says greater works will we do. So are we supposed to live uncommonly? Yes, we're supposed to, we're supposed to live different. Meaning not like, I don't do this or don't do that. We're supposed to go, we're heirs to the throne and this is how life looks. Everything works in our life. That's how it's supposed to be, right? My marriage works, my health works, my finances work when I know I'm loved. If I don't know I'm loved, I'm gonna struggle for it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have messy areas in my life. So we're designed to do the uncommon and trust in the unlimited power of the one we're in union with. I love this, guys. When you pray, when you pray, remind yourself, when I pray, because he loves me perfectly and I share his name. I share everything in the Father's house. He answers and he gives it to me so my joy may be full. So you can pray, not bending God's hand, but I love this concept. You, you go, Lord, I need this to happen in my life. I'm tired of this result in my life. This is what I want. And step back and just watch his unlimited love bring it to pass to you. That's true prayer. And it's awesome where you don't have to tr trust your faith. You don't have to trust your goodness, anything. So if we underestimate ourselves, are we in union with him? Then we underestimate God himself. So our meditation should be on his love for us. How much does he love us? Man, the prodigal son didn't think he was worthy of anything, but the father's heart is, you're my son, you're worthy of everything. This is how much I love you. So it'd be on his love for us and our joint heir of Jesus, everything he possesses. So in that day, this is true prayer. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. You're not gonna ask Jesus. You yourself are a son and can go straight to the father. And if you ask him, what's he going to do? You ask anything in my name, what my name qualifies you for, you will receive it so your joy may be full. Is that good or is that good? So if anybody needs prayer after this, come up here. Because this is what I would remind you to do. Most prayer chains, guys, are a waste of time. Because I see them begging on Facebook and pleading. And I'm like, you're, no, you don't get it. There's nothing here, Right? When you go, pray hard. No, they'll get nothing. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes he just throws them a bone. But uh, that's not what prayer looks like, guys. Prayer is this knowing, this revelation that when I pray, this happens. Thank you, Father. So there's this quiet confidence. Does that make sense to you guys? It's not this, 
If there's any fear or worry in that thing, that's not real prayer. That's begging somebody to prop you up. Sonship means everything. Did Jesus, when the storm was raging, did, was he upset? He was sleeping, right? So instead of spending any time worrying about anything this week, I would just challenge you. I'm a son. I share the Father's house. I share his name. When I pray, it happens, and then just step back and watch his unlimited love bring it to pass. And just renew your mind on that, because our mind gets wayward, but just bring that to pass as often as you can. When I pray, I shall receive so that my joy may be full. When I pray, I shall receive so that my joy may be full. When I pray, I shall receive so that joy may be full. You can't do that for about five minutes and you can start to feel it well up in you. You can start to feel this, oh, thank you, Father. You start to feel loved and so like, thank you for being such a good God that you take care of me that much. Does that help, guys? So that's what sonship looks like. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we just thank you. Oh, that we're not slaves trying to earn our blessing. We, we're, we're perfectly loved in your house. No matter what any of us has done, you keep no record of wrong. You love us perfectly. We may not think we're worthy, but just get it deep into our heart that we're worthy of the best robe. We're worthy of the signet ring. We're worthy of slippers to just come have a feast and a party in your house, to enjoy everything that you, Jesus, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit have already provided for us before the foundation of the world. Everything's been done that's available to us at any time. And we simply need to desire it, knowing that we'll have it if, it's, if your name qualifies it for us. So you qualify us for perfect health in Jesus' magnificent name. Thank you, Father. You qualify us for perfect abundance. You qualify us for perfect rest. You qualify us for perfect peace, restoration. Everything, as Jesus says, so are we. And these people can just be confident that as they ask, they're going to receive it. They can step back and let your faith work so that they can be joyful. In Jesus' magnificent name, amen, amen, amen. Hopefully that helps, guys. You're released. If you need prayer, come on up. You will receive, amen? All right. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Some of you guys want to see this. this I was trying to do it. One of the things the Inspire 100 did with the India kids, those kids, uh, they, this is, come up and look at this. This is really cool. I'll show it tomorrow night on the Inspire 100 call too is, Impact Nations, which is down in Albuquerque, um, they're on their third generation of indentured servants in this brick factory. They, they can't even pay off their parents' debt. Now they're on to the grandchildren. They can't pay it off. So they literally are born in the brick factory and they die in the brick factory. They never get out. Literally, they're slaves their whole life. But if they can get to school, and it really, it's, I think it was 100 bucks. I don't remember exactly. Was it 100 bucks per child? Was that what it was? Yeah. As, uh, I don't remember, but... If basically that what they show is this little Indian kid, he's got his school uniform on and says speed school shoes. They got his new shoes on. If you could buy their books and their first set of clothing, the Indian government by law has to subsidize them all the way through graduation. So we literally bought their freedom. And so this is just a thank you they sent us today. It came in the mail. This is for all of you guys. We have been astounded by God's hand on the Bricklayers Project in India. As more than 850 children left the brickyard to attend school each day. We want to thank you for being an instrumental part of the life change. We are phenomenally blessed to have donors like you who join us in what God is doing. Thank you for being a part of this amazing adventure, Impact Nation. So if you want to come look at that, that's cool. So we'll, we'll support that every year. You know, every new school year, we'll, we'll buy as many kids as we can. So that's, that's just great stuff. So anyway, God bless. You can come see this.